Oh, God. I don't need these mouth sounds. No, I hate mouth sounds. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm going to start this mini by shotgunning this Budweiser soda. (laughs) Very on brand. What flavor of Budweiser soda? Oh, classic cola. Nice. All right. I don't know how to start this mini. Um, Neither do I. I'm really trying to think of something creative and funny to say, but like my brain is elsewhere. It's been elsewhere for like a week. (laughs) Well, this is what happens when Sarah leaves on vacation. I stopped. Anyway, vacation has nothing to do with anything as most of the openings to our minis have. This is an afternoonified mini. Um, Emily's doing one now that's not about leprechauns. (laughs) I get to talk. Um, It's about trains, right? This is, this is all I know. Is about trains. Yes. I love trains. It's actually, today is more of a, a tale of the tragedy of human spectacle. Oh boy, we're getting real conceptual. As, as demonstrated in, in such works as Jurassic Park and Westworld and uh, Nope. Um, spoilers for Nope? I don't know. I've had this saved for uh, months. Literal months. Um, I, think, I think I told you I was scrolling through the internet super stoned i saw an instagram post of a tweet <laughs> or something like that and i screen capped it for later use i don't i don't remember this if you did tell me but it does seem very uniquely something that you would do so it's about trains and that's all i'm going to give you right now trains and people being dumb good Great. good i love it okay i love it already so our story takes place uh september 1896, a few, mil- a few miles outside of the city of Waco, Texas, a, a town well known for being functional and <laughs> nothing bad has ever happened in Waco, Texas. Actually, the story start starts uh, near Lancaster, Ohio, on May 30th of 1896. Oh, everything bad has happened in Ohio. Yeah. The Columbus and Hawking Valley Railroad staged a controlled train crash as a publicity stunt to celebrate the opening of Buckeye Park. What? Yeah, you never thought anyone would say staged a controlled train crash. Just like, who who has to clean that up? I. <laughs> <laughs> That's your first thing? I understand the appeal of wanting to see that, but also it 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 makes a big mess, and who has to clean it up? Um, the locomotive crash was planned for the park's annual opening day and drew approximately twenty thousand spectators. While no admission was charged, money was made on the railroad passenger traffic to and from the park, and it was weirdly uh, that's where they get a you. huge success. Yeah. <laughs> That's like not charging to get into Disneyland, but you have to like pay Disneyland for the bus to get to Disneyland. Yeah. Uh, So upon hearing about this, a man got an idea, which historically has (laughs) never been good. (laughs) Boy, that can sum up a lot of our episodes. (laughs) William Crush worked for the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railroad, which was nicknamed Katie because of the initials. Oh, yeah. Um, and they had what you might consider a surplus of old locomotives. Just, you know, extra trains lying around. Yes. As the railroad expanded since it was created in the 1880s, the Katy replaced its 30-ton steam engines with newer, more powerful 60-ton engines. Ooh. And since it's hard to recycle a whole train, I think, they had a couple older models to be spared. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm sure there's maybe some parts you can strip, but... What are you going to do with the whole train except scrap it? Mercifully for all of you guys, this isn't going to be like the Lighthouse episode where I got really into how lighthouses work. That's I'm not going to talk about how trains work. 
because I don't care. They get you from one place to another, the end. Steam and Chris Pine, I think. Chris Pine is involved, I'm pretty sure. I've seen movies. I, yes, I, I have seen films um, where Chris Pine was majorly uh, involved in train wrecks. He's been involved in a train wreck on several occasions. Oh, I get it. It's a funny joke because it means more than one thing. Yeah, it's a funny joke because I watched the entirety of Blind Dating. So, William Crush figured a spectacle like the one in Lancaster could be beneficial for the Katie, and his superiors agreed to his proposal and he was put in charge of organizing the project. As with the crash at Buckeye Park, the event would be free of charge, instead profiting from the sale of tickets on special trains that would run to and from the site. The price was set at $350, which is the equivalent to about $114 in now money. Damn. Uh, per round trip ticket from anywhere in Texas. That's that's a lot of money to go watch two trains crash into each other. It's like an outing. I guess there's nothing else around, yeah. It's not like you can go and spend that money at Disneyland. Yeah, the the appeal will make more sense than a couple paragraphs. Actually, my next line is, it was about the same cost as the one-day ticket to Universal Studios. So, okay. not bad. Um, as a result, the excursion trains were so packed that some people had to ride on top of the cars for lack of room inside. There's the real adventure. <laughs> a site was chosen 14 miles north of Waco and three miles south of a town called West. So, south of West, Texas. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, and they started construction on the event site. Um, you know how, like, when the the Olympics go to a place and they just, like, mm-hmm. go buck wild? They're like, let's build 18 stadiums. Yeah, sure. Yes. So two water well- wells were drilled. A circus tent borrowed from the Ringling Brothers was erected, as well as a grandstand, three speaker stands, a platform for reporters, two telegraph offices, and a special train depot over which they placed a giant sign that proclaimed the new town as Crush, Texas. Oh my god. Yeah, I'd say William Crush was pretty far up his own ass with that name, but it, it actually ended up being pretty appropriate, so. I mean, also pretty rad name gener- in general. Uh, uh, I was going to say something about the stuff in the stage and the thing. Was it the two telegraph stands? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I was going to comment on. Who needs two telegraph stands? Oh, oh, I remember now. I was going to ask. Are they doing this on existing track, or did they build, like, a section of track specifically for this? Um, I'll get into it specifically later, but they did build track for this. Okay. That's, again, a lot of investment (laughs) into a one-time thing. They also included a midway with lemonade stands, carnival games, medicine shows, which um, are where they sell stuff called, like, Old Jim's Miracle Tonic. Yeah, the snake oil oil guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cigar vendors, and other sideshows. So it was, it was a fucking carnival. Like, it was a whole thing. They basically did, like, a mini World's Fair. Yes. So the $114 train fare makes more sense. Yeah. Um, a construction foreman on the project was on record as saying, quote, this feature alone will be worth going to crush to see. And I assume he was referring to the Midway. Yes. Um, a four-mile segment of track was built for the event alongside the actual railroad track, so there was no chance of a runaway train ending up on the main line. That's smart. (laughs) It's the only smart thing in this whole episode. Anyway, uh, each end of the track was situated atop a low hill on opposite sides of a bowl-shaped valley in which the trains would meet. Uh, The locomotives to be used were two 32-ton decommissioned Baldwin engines, number 999 and number 1001. Those are nice solid numbers. I like that. Also, that's a lot of fucking trains. Well, yeah. When... (laughs) Well, I mean, consider how many cars there are in the U.S. today. 
like, and this was before cars, so trains were literally the only way to get around. Yeah, Think of how many trains there horses. Were to be. Yeah. On the day before the exhibition, railroad officials ran a speed test of the engines to figure out where the trains would collide. <laughs> Katie engineers assured Crush that his idea was totally safe. Specifically oh, yeah. that the boilers on the steam engines had been designed to resist ruptures, and that, even in a very high-speed crash, they were unlikely to explode. Oh boy, this isn't going to come back and be proven wrong at all, I'm sure. Each engine would pull six boxcars behind it, because the and because the coupler used to link the cars was unreliable, so like the little knob thingy that holds the mm-hmm. cars in place, they chained the cars together to prevent them from separating during impact. So some safety precautions were taken. That's good, I guess. Uh, Katie officials expected a crowd of between 20,000 and 25,000 people in attendance, but the spectacle had such a draw that their actual count was closer to, are you ready? 50? Should I guess? Oh, no, we've already started. Uh, you already started. Uh, 50,000 people. Okay. I was going to guess like 125, so I really highballed it. Well, let's do some some math now. So 50,000 people times $114 per round trip ticket. It's um about $5.7 million in revenue. That's pretty good. I do wonder how much everything else cost. I imagine they probably did a lot of it on the cheap, so probably not $5.7 million worth. But, probably uh, not. Um, still. So some profit. Well, and then you, you consider the advertising like it is a public- publicity stunt. Yeah. Yeah, so 50,000 people showed up for this thing. That's a lot, especially when it's double what you've been planning for. It's so many that at the, for the day of the crash, Crush was the second most populated city in Texas. <laughs> uh, 300 special policemen were brought in to keep order, which wasn't going to matter all too much, but... At least they were there. You tried. Yeah. Almost all the spectators were put on a hill about 200 yards away for what the Dallas Morning News termed as a, quote, perfect view of the destruction. Uh, only journalists were allowed to be within 100 yards of the track. Oh, good. And Crush specified that it had to be, they had to be at least 100 yards away for their own safety. So he did, you know, he wasn't irresponsible. Um, so two engines... One painted green and one painted red, and each pulling six cars covered with, quote, gaudy advertising, slowly I met- do love that they color-coded the trains. <laughs> uh, slowly met at the point of collision for photographs. <laughs> and then the trains backed slowly up into the hills to their starting points. Thank God. I have a feeling, I have, like, guesses about what's going to happen, and I'm so, so nervous. As the train started their run, the two train crews abandoned their posts and jumped from the train. Good. At impact, which was estimated to be about 50 miles an hour, the smashing of metal and splintering of timber filled the air. But just as the dust from the smoking heap started to settle, both boilers exploded simultaneously. (laughs) Who could have predicted? Did, Did they at least hit at the right spot? I believe so, yes. Which at this, it's not good. <laughs> True, but I just think it would be like really funny if you like build up this whole like train collision thing and like one just gets there extra fast. So it like happens like 200 yards down where it's supposed to be and no one actually sees it. So both boilers exploded simultaneously and the air was filled with flying metal shrapnel, quote, varying in size from a postage stamp to half of a driving wheel, the Dallas Morning News reported. Oh boy. Oh no. <laughs> Oh, no. 
<laughs> Two people died, and at least six other people were seriously injured by the flying debris. That's astounding that it wasn't more people. Ernest Darnall, who was sitting in a mesquite tree at the time of the impact, was hit by a debris and killed instantly. And one Waco photojournalist, Jarvis Dean, lost an eye. Jesus. <laughs> a Confederate veteran who was present for the crash told the newspaper that the scene was like a Civil War battle with people falling all around him. <laughs> Jesus. A heavy smokestack blasted skyward, fell within the danger area, and two trucks were lifted off the ground by the explosion. Just imagine the amount of, like, just noise that Does that Does this made. remind you of a story that I've done previously? Oh, man. Should it? The whale? <gasps> the fucking exploding whale? One, well, I forgot we did that, too. No one died in the whale explosion, thankfully. But <laughs> man, people are stupid. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, no, no, I, I need to amend that. Men are stupid. <laughs> it all started when a man had an idea. Within hours, the Katie had brought in cranes to remove larger debris. They were expecting cleanup, so at least there's that. Yeah, um, and probably souvenir- not to the degree that uh, they ended up having, but... No, they didn't expect to haul bodies away. So cranes removed the larger debris, and souvenir seekers took care of the rest of the debris. Of course. <laughs> People love their goddamn souvenirs, man. Uh, Crush, the town, was fully abandoned by midnight, and Crush, the man, was fired that evening by railroad management. (laughs) Imagine planning a publicity stunt that kills two people. Just wait. Just wait, Sarah. Oh, no. The railroad changed their mind, however, and he was rehired the next day. And except for this single episode, Crush lived an unremarkable life and retired later with 57 years of service to the railroad. Goddamn. Despite Uh, its failure as a promotion for the railroad, the crash at Crush remained a key topic of discussion for many months. I'm sure. I I don't know. I'm sure there wasn't a a lot else going on in Texas. So what else are you going to talk about other than the time when two trains were crashed together on purpose and killed two people? Um, And it is not known whether the famous ragtime composer Scott Joplin of the Entertainer fame was actually present at the Crush It Crash, but he later penned a song inspired by the events called The Great Crush Collision. Which I am going to send you a link to now. Oh, delightful. It slaps. I'll play a little bit of it, too, at the end of the episode. I have to say, like, once you said that, I could definitely picture uh, just, like, this whole thing with the entertainer in the background. So I'm excited to hear, like, what the official song was. Oh, hell Yeah. Yeah, this is some silent movie music. This is a great song. I love how it, like, starts like a train, kind of, like, slowly, and then picks up. (laughs) Not for nothing, I didn't know that Scott Joplin was black until I looked this up. (laughs) Anyway, that's the uh, train crash at Crush, uh, a.k.a. what happens when a man has an idea. Let's let's make a law about that. No more men having ideas. (laughs) They're generally bad and lead to, to bad things. Yeah, I've been uh, holding that story for <laughs> a while. That I'm glad I know about this now. I'm glad this is information I have in my head. This sounds sarcastic, but it's not. No, it's fun trivia for like parties and stuff. 
You know, all those parties we get invited to. Yes, so many. God, parties all the time. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're done with Marie Antoinette, so I guess there's that. <laughs> yeah, wh- what do we do now? Oh, I know what we do now. Oh, God. Yeah, so, uh, however we end these. It's a Monday. We don't record Mondays. <laughs> we're really off of our, like, usual game. It's a Monday, and we're not recording a big episode after this, because someone has to go on vacation, and someone recorded three Marie Antoinette episodes. More like someone. Someone <laughs> did all the work. Way too many notes. I did a lot of work, and then I'm going to just peace out. That sounds nice. Yeah. All right, guys. Goodbye. Goodbye. We love you. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This this is as above, so below.